Hebrews chapter 3, we alluded last time largely about the importance to be righteous, be obedient, and not be caught up with the false theology of the day. And we'll find some of those elements actually spelled out here as we read Hebrews chapter 3. So far we've seen the superiority of Jesus generally against the prophets, against the place of the angels, and we'll see more about the priesthood, which is the longest treatment given in Hebrews to any of those categories, the superiority of the Lord to the Levitical priesthood, his superiority over the tabernacle and over everything, as he is the firstborn of all creation, meaning the first in rank over creation. He is the creator and the sustainer and the terminator, the one who ends human history, where the mankind is elevated to position of power and rule, co-rule with Jesus Christ over the whole universe. It shows the superiority of man in position in eternity to the angels. As Jesus calls mankind his brethren, not the angels. And he redeems us to be able to rule with him one day. Unlike the angels. The angels are ministers or servants to help those who are the heirs of salvation. That's us. For a season made a little lower than the angels. For time, that Jesus became a man so that he can defeat death and be resurrected and lead a whole army, a whole family of God, made in the image of God, in the image of Jesus Christ, and take them to heaven to rule the nations with him. What the Father promised the Son in Psalm 2. Jesus Christ promises mankind in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, the same thing, the same thing in the book of Revelation in chapter 2. To rule the nations with a rod of iron. And as the vessels of a potter, the nation be broken to shivers. Even as I received of my father, he says. This is how we see how humankind, those who receive salvation in Christ, though we are made a little lower than the angels, Jesus has come to restore that which was lost in the Garden of Eden to give us a place that is higher than any other creature because we're actually part of his body. No angel is part of his body. It's a mystical, supernatural, real union with Jesus. 
there's so much more than we can perceive regarding what the Lord has in store for us. Hallelujah. We've been given some insight, but so much more. Hallelujah. We never become God. God is God. There's none other. But we are called gods, Jesus himself said in Psalm 82. Is it to them to whom the word of God came? I said, you are gods. Meaning, given that authority and rulership, he gave such dominion to Adam in the garden. He lost it. He forfeited it. Now, Jesus said, I'm coming to restore everything. He loves us so much, he condescended to where we were, not in sin. But he came to the place of sin, came to us in our sins, to wash us from our sins and take us and restore us back to himself to be clean, to be sanctified, to be made right with God, reconciled and then with that justification and sanctification, he glorifies us. Just amazing. With David, perhaps we can say such knowledge is too wonderful for me. One day, as a co-heir of Christ, along with Jesus, I inherit something from the Father to that degree where I can rule with Jesus. Psalm 149 alludes to that also. Inasmuch as the Israelites were called to subdue the nations around them. So the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, don't you know that we will judge angels in the future? Amazing future for the child of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul makes the argument. He said, when you have a dispute against another brother... He said, take it to the saints. And we know in the church, the Lord says, go and talk to that person. You're not willing to hear you. Take some witnesses. And if not, tell it to the church. If not, that person is going to be treated in a certain way so as to bring them realize they're acting just like a heathen and a non-believer. And certainly the shepherds given in the church are there as leaders, as the apostles were, and the pastors of the churches, and where churches have qualified people to become deacons and such elders. God has set up a certain order because he entrusts into the church and the leaders who are truly worthy, not just there by election or delegation because of popularity or charisma or physical ability or business know-how. But as is written in the book of Acts, even in the matter of serving tables, it took people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what they chose them. And so the modern church is called to maintain the New Testament standards. But it's a rare thing to find that today in these last days.
yet were held accountable and responsible. Hence the restraint in the leadership here in this church to assign or delegate anything to anyone because it's a sobering thing before the Lord. It's a solemn thing. It's a holy thing. There needs to be a perception on the part of the leadership regardless of color, creed, whether certain qualities are exhibited, they would not prove to be detrimental to the progress of the church, but rather an asset. And there's a training that continues, and there's a watchfulness, just like the apostle told Timothy and Titus. Yes, ordain certain people, but these are the qualifications. All the standards have been ritualized to fit a current mold according to man's own estimation rather than the Lord's. But the mankind, men and women, are given a unique position in all of creation and in eternity. 1 Corinthians 6 Paul says, you have a quarrel and are you going to the heathen's court? Are you going to the public square where unbelieving judges and unbelieving juries there, when you have a dispute against one another, why don't you go to the least esteemed person in the church who has some wisdom? He said, go to even the person who seems to be not so politically astute, having the qualification that the heathen have. Go to the person who has a heart that's been touched by God and they know what's right in the sight of God and what's not. Even if they're not so big in the church. I speak this to your shame, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 5. He says, is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brothers, but a brother goeth to the law outside with brother and that before the unbelievers. He says, no, that's very, very wrong of you. Because... You're going to law against one another. Why don't you rather take wrong? Why don't you rather suffer yourselves to have a loss or be defrauded? What happened to your love? What happened to your genuine profession that you talk about? He says, no, you're doing wrong. You're defrauding and that to your brothers. Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, the greedy people, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Somebody needs to stand up and say, look, you're doing wrong against your brother. Repent, because you're in danger of your own soul. Do you know what's happening in your soul? What's creeping in you? 
And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So don't go back to that. But for our purposes this morning, it says in verse 3, Do you not know that we shall judge angels? One day, believers will judge angels. They will judge the nations. What a glorious position God has for this man who's made what? A little lower than the angels. The implication clearly is that for a season, it's for a season, and we don't know. That God who said to the Son, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He didn't say to the angels, but we don't know that he's also saying that to us. Because if we are sitting with him on his throne, as he says in Revelation, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And what does his throne represent? Absolute authority. In him we have a measure of authority that is superior to the angels. We're headed for greatness that is incomprehensible in this world. We look at humanity, we look at our lives, we think breakfast, driving, work, coming back, running errands, paying the bills, talking with one another, having the meetings. It seems to be a cycle of insignificance when you think about the universe. Macro-universe and the micro-universe. So much going on under the microscope and the telescope. Who are we? What is man that you're mindful of him? To look at the position and elevation God gives. If you tell a child that's wise to have the option to waste time or remain childish as a child grows neglect the homework neglect the chores neglect obedience to the parents neglect keeping oneself honorable if you tell a child that's in the midst of such a population like we see today massive abuse of one's own body between bodies if you tell a wise child among the crowd that seems to be all going downhill, did you know in just four years you are going to be an astronaut? You're actually going to go to Houston and be among the elite in NASA and you are going to make history. Just four years. What does that do to a child? Even a child that seems to be thinking he or she is not so special. Just one among the crowd. If that truth and the encouragement can be given, what a great difference it can make in the child's efforts. Refocus. 
if you told another child, you know, in four short years, you're going to be a leading scientist or doctor. You're going to become a, a business, a giant in the business world. You're going to have buildings all along Central Park West. And you're going to open up charities to help people and your family's going to be well off. You know, what happens to a child who thinks of himself or herself as just an average mediocre person? How the vision can be immediately opened wide. Brothers and sisters, we are given the ultimate coup, if you will, of the scope of eternal glory. God is for us. We will rule the nations, break them with a rod of iron like a potter with the vessels. We will judge angels. We will sit with Jesus on his throne. We will be co-heirs with Christ in all such things. And that too in a few short years. Even if for 70 years someone lives, or 80 years, or 90, or 100, or 120. It's just a few short years, just a breath, just a vapor. Before you know it, we'll be receiving our crowns in heaven. Oh, hallelujah. Kindly check your phones. I believe someone's unmuted. Just mute your lines, please, if you notice that you're unmuted. There's some kind of disturbance there. Praise God. I see at least two people unmuted. Please check your lines. This is the prospect God gives us. This is where we're headed. You tell a child in four short years you'll be a NASA astronaut. The eyes open wide. Me? And then the child can change his or her own expenditure of energies, that whole plan that the child has, the concept of what I do after school. Do I go and waste time? Or am I having that vision in front of me just four short years? Now I need to get ready. And so the Lord calls us to be ready. The way we get ready for the spiritual Canaan rest that we see in chapter 4, the Sabbath rest, is by taking the great comfort that God gives that we saw at the end of chapter 2 of Hebrews, that he's able to help us in everything. But now, in chapter 3, after showing how Jesus is superior to that premier prophet Moses, that the Jews, these Hebrew Christians, had great reverence for Moses, Everybody knows Moishi in the Hebrew. Moses. That great man of God who was with God in the mountain and received the law that we live by all these centuries. Now they are brand new born again people, these Jewish Jewish Christians. And within a few short years of the writing of this letter to them, the temple, the sacrificial system, all the rituals and the rites, R-I-T-E-S, be done away. Just a few short years. It's estimated that 
Hebrews was written in the mid to late 60s AD, the temple was destroyed by a brutal Roman force in 70 AD. The Spirit of God was showing them, don't let your faith be shaken when you see everything gone. Because at the time of the writing, it's very clear the temple was still standing because the author to the Hebrews writes things in the present tense that the temple is and this is what they are doing. Just a few short years, everything was gone. If the temple was not there, that would have clearly been emphasized. But God knows what's ahead in the future. Hallelujah. So he gives us the word before time. Hallelujah. So we can brace ourselves. Stop mingling with ungodly. Don't get lazy spiritually. Don't think I can slack off here and there and make it up. He told the Hebrew Christians, don't try to make it on your own with a little bit of Christianity here and a little bit of Jewish rites there. You can't mix religions, even counterfeit Christianity with the real thing. You'll not only be confused, you'll begin to compromise. You can be condemned. It's exactly what he says, not my words. Let's read Hebrews chapter 3 against this backdrop. Someone please read Hebrews chapter 3, very clearly, please, and slowly, so we can all hear it, from verses 1 to 9, please. And then someone else, you can just follow up. You don't have to wait for me. 1 through 11. Uh, the next person, 12 through 19. Praise the Lord. Uh, New King James Version, Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. As Moses also was faithful in all his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has much more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my wrath. 
Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departance from the living God. Be exhort one another, pardon me, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose course fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You see clearly here that unbelief has to do with the rejection of God's way. And the perseverance is emphasized in order for us to enter that rest which you are going to in Hebrews 4. What rest? A salvation that cannot be shaken. A salvation that is held fast to, kept, and realized ultimately after having passed probation. We're all in the probationary period. Having been given salvation that is genuine, we're called to hold fast to it. You'll find these words, we go back to what we read in Hebrews chapter 2. In the very beginning, it says, after describing the superiority of Jesus Christ, that we have the greatest Savior. The Creator Himself is our Savior. He's one with us. He came down to our level, not to sin, but to lift us up out of sin. He came into that muddy swamp, clean and holy and majestic. He came right into it to pull us up out of it. He wasn't affected by it, except that it cost him his life to pay for our crimes and filthiness. But in the process of him coming in to this world of iniquity, he was able to pick us up out of it because he is pure. The perfect sacrifice. In Hebrews 2.1, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. This begs the question of all of us, how do we hear the messages? Do we hear it very casually? Have we become accustomed to it? For example, let me just say, when the pastors emphasize, because they feel the grief of God and the burden of God, to the people of God, that you ought to come to the meetings to praise and pray. Be prepared. Unless you're driving and you cannot concentrate or you're ill some emergency. A prayer meeting is not for the pastors only. It's for the whole body. A praise meeting is not for the pastors only. It's for the whole body. Everybody's called to participate, not because the pastor said so, primarily because God said so. We're called to praise. And we're reading even recently, if he said, the people keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. And someone prayed, I don't want to let the rock 
to cry when I'm supposed to cry at the Lord? I said in a, in a vein of embarrassment that if people keep quiet, he'll cause the rocks to cry out. We need to come to prayer meetings, morning calls, praise meetings, prepared to pray and praise. Because that's God's desire. Imagine if there's a family meeting and the father or mother who's just given such a treat to the kids, let's say there are seven kids, the family, the parents just took them to an amusement park, saved up money, unbeknownst to the children. They worked hard and did overtime, all these things. And the children had no idea. They thought it was just going to be another weekend. And that weekend, what happens? They are called to the family vehicle. And surprise, all seven of them loaded into that large vehicle. Where are we going? Grocery shopping? No, we're going to go to this great adventurous place. We're going to be, we're going to be there all day. You're going to have all the fun that you ever could dream of. And then they're called to a family meeting, maybe the next day or on the Monday. And imagine if seven of them are there and only one of them is very thankful. How would the parents feel about the six? And upon investigation... They find out the sixth are just as healthy as the seventh. But they just felt, I'm just going to, you know, I'm thankful, you know, but I'm kind of quiet about it. When this one is very excited and thanking them profusely. How do we feel when somebody doesn't thank us publicly? Suppose that people are there in the job and some favor is done. And the person says, I'll thank them in my own way. I do it quietly. How much more God, someone prayed or emphasized the other day about the lepers. You see, it's not a matter of fitting into some kind of mold or program or the pastor's authority, although that's clearly there. We'll see even the book of Hebrews. That whoever is set in authority over us to shepherd us, that we should not grieve them. Because why? If they're sincere and they're really called of God and appointed by God, they have the heart of God. And so we're actually grieving God by grieving his servants. The matter is that I'm coming to meet with my father in the assembly. What kind of assembly? Back then, they didn't have telephones, obviously. They didn't have Ring Central. They didn't have the morning calls like this. They met together and they saw each other. Now imagine seeing each other in the face, whether it's 12 people or 120. And only about three or four of them, or maybe 10 or 15, always pray and praise. Yes, the others, what happened? Silence. And you assume, okay, maybe last week 115 of them were sick. They couldn't really open their mouths and praise God. Then the other time, well, this one just almost had an accident. So they're recovering from that shock. This one has a lot of noise going on in the background. This one's getting ready for this and that. Well, 
really have to take all of that and bring it to the Lord and say, should that prevent me from praising God? What an opportunity to glorify my Father. And so Pastor and I are praying for that um, awareness because it's between you and the Lord. We come together. No one's judging anyone. We have no right to do that. But we rejoice with one another because there's sincere prayers. Some prayers may be five minutes long. Some prayers may be five seconds. It may be that God sees both as equal because they came from the heart. We just come to the Lord and say, Daddy, I thank you. Abba, Father, thank you. Oh, you're so good, Lord. I praise you today. You did give me life and breath. How many days are you going to say, thank you, God, for giving me breath and life, as long as we have breath and life? Hallelujah. The warning here is that we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. Or we may drift away from it. That's the warning against the backsliding. So it shows the integral part of all of us, all of us, every single one of us, that when we hear God's truth, that we are all ears. You know, like someone who hears about there in the world, their favorite Hollywood actor. They just listen to the news, the weather, and all of a sudden they come with the entertainment news. And they just mention that favorite actor or actor's name. And the ears are all perked up. What are they saying about him, about her? Because it's very important to the person. Or you're going through the papers or hearing the commercials and there's something you had your heart set on, some merchandise, and they happen to mention that merchandise on sale this week. How our ears perk up and our attention is focused and we shut everybody else down. Shh, wait, wait, I want to hear this. And we note down exactly the details. Who do I have to call? Where do I have to go? That's the kind of concentration zeal that we need to have when we hear the word of God. And then what will happen is we'll be built up. There will actually be uh, the food that sticks to our bones, as they say, when we eat. It will remain a part of us, and there's a, there's a, a building of that on top of that. Instead of, like the Hebrews were charged in Hebrews chapter 6, we'll see, they're going back, ring around the rosy, back to the drawing board, Every time it's like a fresh new message regarding repentance. Because they haven't really understood. I've got to repent of everything. I've got to gain. I have to learn. So the way we listen is very important. And that's what he's saying here, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in chapter 3, uh, that is in verses 2 and 3, it says, For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm in every violation of the law, and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. He's writing to who? People who are saved. 
why would you write to people who already are saved? Verse 3, so what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation, but I'm saved? Exactly. The admonition, the exhortation, the urging is to stay saved. Make sure you don't lose it. Exactly. Apostasy is losing our first estate. Yes, as Peter and Jude emphasize along with Hebrews. Whatever we have right now, born again, according to God's word, we can become unborn again. That's the truth from heaven. In the book of Revelation, is written that Jesus has the capability, there's a very, very real possibility, to erase out of, blot out of the book of life the names of people. People who are already written in there. So that shows how important it is for us to be very, very mindful of the fact that we need to be careful with our salvation. In the book of Philippians it says, um, work out your own salvation, not by rejoicing, parading, and having banners and flags and blasting worship music. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Look how solemn it is. Look how God says to us the reality of the whole thing. There's a joy, but there's a trembling. People want joy, no trembling. That means there's no fear of God. Therefore, everything is easy believism. I believe, you believe, you all believe. That one's doing drugs, and that one's drinking over there. That one's being immoral. We're all believers, and we're all in the family. There's going to be trouble in the family, okay? And we don't judge each other. We don't condemn each other. We support each other. Some people come out of it sooner than others. And, and so we're just going to watch and pray and kind of encourage you. And if you have a testimony you want to sing, come up. Come up to the stage. You can sing. Sure, God's given you talents. Nobody dares ask, do you have sin on your hands? Do you have blood on your hands? Do you have sin in your heart? No, you can't come. Why? you judging me? No, God's Word says... Whoever bears the vessels of the Lord, whoever does service in the house of God must be clean. There'll be a rebellious group that'll challenge that, just like with Moses. God'll tell Moses, stand aside, let me take care of this. And he'll make an example of them. He does. Because God says one thing, nobody dare oppose what he says. He's holy. And any pretense, God will bring out to the open. He said, there's nothing hidden in his sight. What's the trouble with just being right with God and being pure, being humble, teachable? What makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation? What does salvation entail? The Word of God, the commandments of God. It's not simply sign on the dotted line or I'm in. It has to do with the Word of God. And we'll see that emphasized. That those who heard the Word, they didn't mix it with faith. There's no holy fear. And it didn't profit them. We're called to hear carefully what God says. Readjust ourselves to the word, not try to readjust the word to our convenience. It will be safe. Well, the Holy Spirit himself, God himself, found it 
very necessary to tell these Hebrew Christians, be careful how you listen when I speak to you. Because if those people, you know the history of Moses, they knew it very well. They knew the history of the desert wanderings. They knew it. It was a shame, but they knew it in their history. And he brings that up. You don't want to end up like them, believe me. And there's persecution coming. You're not going to last if you don't get right and get serious right now. This initial warning in Hebrews chapter 3 is now taken a step further and amplified in Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 2 to chapter 3. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, look at the word, think carefully, listen carefully, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's apostle or messenger and high priest. And then he speaks about how Moses was a servant in the house of God in Israel, in the congregation. He was a servant. He was a faithful servant. But Jesus is the Son of God who owns the house but also built the house. And Moses who served in the house is also part of the house. And Jesus is not only the supreme ruler of the house, the one in charge, verse 6. He's also the one who built the house. This kingdom is Christ. Moses was just a temporary servant there. But it belongs to Jesus. And this is the one that came and just died just 30 years ago or so, right in front of everybody. God has given him a name above every other name and he's in charge of everything. He always was in charge of everything. Then he humbled himself and came down, laid aside those divine prerogatives for a short while. Now he takes them back again and he's the supreme resurrected ruler over the entire house, the church of God. So the word careful is emphasized in the book of Hebrews. If we want to read it correctly, if we want to read it the way it should be read, we zoom in on these things that God says very emphatically. Because he loves us. He wants us not to miss anything. Not to lose it, first of all. And also not to miss the great position he has for you and me. As was mentioned at the beginning of this call. Notice, and we are God's house. Oh yes, I'm part of God's house, his kingdom, his temple. If, and if you don't have that highlighted, if you haven't underlined that word, if, I would highly recommend that you underline that word, if. Because most people don't bother to understand what that word if means. They don't even know it's there, first of all. Many Christians don't even know what exactly Hebrews is about. They haven't really read it. Furthermore, even if they heard about it, they've heard wrong. Because everything is hypothetical. They're in la-la land before the great destruction comes. But the ones who are prepared, they'll be sober and able to weather the persecution and the temptation and the trials and hold fast unto the end. 
But Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house. If we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Now, these words can be misconstrued as some kind of civic citizenship or character qualities that are just um, very similar to what's in the world. You know, be courageous. That's a great value. Great uh, characteristic attribute. Be happy. You know, they have songs in the world. Don't worry, be happy. They have songs in the world. Talking about holding fast and become, being courageous. But this is speaking about obedience. That's the only way God sees that we're courageous and confident and rejoicing. When we keep the word of God. Notice several times in the scriptures and in this very chapter three times three times three times in this very chapter he says today if you will hear his voice don't harden your heart says in the rebellion when God says something once it's a big deal. When he repeats that, he might have said something in Genesis, and you're, we're reading through 66 books of the Bible, 1,189 or so chapters, almost 32,000 verses, maybe from verse 1 to the 32,000th verse, verse 31,000 and change. We find uh, repetition. You know what God said in Genesis 1 that he warned about? I see it in the end of Revelation, the same warning. Wow, that's powerful. What do you do when you see it in Revelation, in Genesis, and also in the book of Malachi or Matthew? Three times God told me to be careful how I hear. That's powerful. Two or three witnesses were, were enough. be able to render a verdict under the law. We have three. The higher figure. Now what do you do when you find it in the same book? Hebrews chapter 1 and all the way to Hebrews chapter 13. I found a warning in Hebrews 1. Then you say, I find the same warning in Hebrews 6. Lo and behold, in Hebrews 13, I find the same warning. What is it? Today, if you hear his voice, all the Holy Spirit saying, don't harden your heart. Where did you see it? I found in the same book, not even in different books, at the opposite ends of the pole. All the way back in Genesis and all the future in Revelation. And then Malachi or Matthew. I found in the book of Hebrews. Now, what do you do when you find three warnings, the same exact warnings in the same chapter? My God. How do we read? In the same chapter. And this is not a chapter of 176 verses like Psalm 119. 
a mere 19 verses. Three times in 19 verses, God is saying, and that too, back to back virtually. To who? To me. Me, the believer. Me, the Christian. Just like it was written to those Christians, real born-again people. Not like Satan has in the commentaries many times in the preachers. Oh, this hypothetical, and we can't lose our salvation. That's the life in the pit of hell, which is conveniently taking multitudes to hell. The twist of the truth. It's very clear here, he's speaking, we'll see this as we go along, to full-fledged believers. They may need encouragement, but they're believers. No question about it. What does that tell us? It's not just for them, it's for me, because I'm a believer. The exhortation you may see in your subheading, if you have a Bible like that, it says, be faithful. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your heart, as in what? You know all about the desert experience, 40 years, you know all about that. Don't harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers, where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works 40 years. Look at how God's bringing out the details. He didn't just stop with don't harden your heart. He says, you know, that's the time your fathers, they tempted me, they tested me, they tried me, they saw what I did for 40 years. I was angry with that generation. Really? You're going to tell Christians today God is angry? Not with everyone. Just like in that day, he was not angry with Caleb or Joshua, no. He's not an angry God. He's a very loving God. But when he sees people serving Satan and claiming to be God's children, he gets angry because they're damaging themselves, damaging each other, and they're blaspheming God's name. Living like the devil, calling themselves a child of God, he said no. And he said stop it. And his patience is so long, 40 years he dealt with them. Imagine that. Can you do that 40 years when you see someone backstabbing you every day, murmuring, complaining, no matter how much you do, and they're challenging your authority? They don't want you at all. Just like the devil. I will ascend to the throne. I'll be like the Most High. I don't need him. Get him out. My God, these people. That's why God was angry and said they always go straight in their heart. They've not known my ways. Well, we have to just read what they did exactly when God says these things. It's not simply, oh, they, they fell a little bit. No, they fell a lot. And they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They've not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Look what he says next. Beware, brethren. That was a heavy statement there from verses 7 to 11. Very heavy. On the heels of that, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you, who, me, you, every single Christian. You keep your guard up, lest something creeps in you called an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. How do you know when somebody's housing an evil heart of unbelief, their feet take them where God says not to go. Their eyes begin to wander 
and look at things God says not to look at. Their heart begins to desire things God says do not desire because they are harmful. Okay, I can ask forgiveness. I can go to the altar and cry. I can call the pastors and tell them my woes. We have seen people, some of them have died, in fact, quite a number of them, who presumed upon the grace of God. They thought it's just another day. I have another year. They found out it was too late. That's why it's so urgent that no, nobody, none of us can afford to play with sin for any moment. Because we don't know at what point that pull will be so strong it will overpower us and take us to hell. But none of us need to be afraid if we do what? Listen to God's counsel. Be humble, honest, obey Him, be holy, be filled with His love. We cannot go wrong. We have supreme confidence. I mean supreme confidence. Nothing will shake us. We will make it. False cried in the world. Fame. It used to be something on TV years ago. I think it said, I'm going to make it to heaven. All kinds of songs and aspirations and dance and drama that will burn up in hell. But the people that are really called for fame, not just worldwide fame, eternal fame, are the children of God who love Him with a passion, who obey His voice, who walk carefully. They treasure the salvation given. They dare not allow any evil heart of unbelief begin to test God and test the waters, as they say. Begin to kid around and joke in a carnal way and with people, hang around with people who don't even love God, even if they call themselves Christians, they're not obeying God. It's dangerous. The Bible warns, it says, be careful. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. But I thought Jesus said you have to condescend and go, and he hung out with sinners. As we emphasize over and over again, he's the supreme great physician no germ can touch him but we're not immune like that that's why the warning is there be careful only when God calls us specifically and we know 100% especially many suggestions from Satan will come why don't you invite that person for dinner maybe you can talk and you know what we've heard people even in this congregation who attempted that certain people we could warn directly but others they were learning they couldn't take the counsel they learned the hard way not only was it a total waste of time, their own hearts and faith were getting affected. More grief and more heartache. Because too many Christians try to do it with their own two cents. We have to say, I'm tired of this. I don't want to make, I don't want to pick up the phone, call, invite, do anything with anybody. Because I have a good heart. I need God's counsel to go with the good heart. You see? When the Holy Spirit's behind it, then we know we're in His perfect will. A purpose will be served. But if not, it'll be a sad trial and error type of thing and going with vibes and feelings. You know, bright idea. Why don't we do this? Well, yeah, let's do that. 
I don't want to be like that. Do you? I'd rather pray and ask God, Lord, do you want us to do that? Train our senses that we'll see it also soon in Hebrews. To be able to discern clearly, this is what God is saying. And this may sound like a good idea, but it's not God's idea, so I don't want it. Praise God for those who are walking closely with the Father. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That's how serious it can become. There's a warning right there in the first three chapters. He said, how serious is this? You can depart with a heart of unbelief. Now, did he say, as he said to the Corinthians, you know, some of you Hebrews are fooling around, you're messing around, you're slacking off, you know, you're starting to get drunk, you're beating each other, you're sleeping around. No, none of that. He commends them, but he warns them. And the warning, warning is serious. Because God knows better than we do ourselves. And the situation. And the temptations that are coming. That's why he told the people, his own people, the three close disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, pray lest you enter into temptation. Luke 22. Pray. Otherwise you're going to fall. You better pray. You better seek God. Because I'm telling you, the devil's knocking at the door. And if you're sleepy, you're going to open it. He's going to come in. But if you're alert by praying, you're going to keep him out. You're not going to fall. What do you do instead of falling away and having a casual attitude toward the kingdom of God and the commandments of God? You encourage one another daily while it's called today. Verse 13, Hebrews 3.13. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. One of the things we have to guard against is vanity. A preoccupation with how we look and how people perceive us and the physical and creaturely things. These can be idolatry before we know it. What started out is, you know, I'm glad God made me the way I am and Pastor told me and I heard in the Word and God is really helping me to really value myself. Absolutely. Praise God. The devil will try to condemn people. You don't look good. You don't this, that. And that's nonsense from the liar and accuser. Every child of God is beautiful, wonderfully made in the image of God. I believe that with all my heart because God said so and that's the truth. We don't need to prove anything to anyone. And our value and self-worth comes from the Lord Jesus. So, it's an absolute satisfaction. Along the way, if God wants us to change some things, improve some things, maybe exercise for health and for good testimony, you see, it's all having to do with God's glory. And I get blessed whenever I seek God's glory in the process. If God's brought this to my attention, you know you've been pretty sloppy before with your body now. Why don't you tidy things up and be a little more responsible and, uh, you know, you have a comb, comb your hair. Why not? At the same time, if I don't comb my hair one day and I have to rush somewhere, I don't get all panicky and 
worried what would people think well we do have a testimony in that regard we may want to be concerned that I don't want people to think my God is sloppy see the focus but on the whole we're not too concerned with those things they can easily go from a good concern to vanity where hours are spent upon just the right color and texture and this and that why for an appearance that is uh, here today gone tomorrow maybe within a few hours God is not saying it's wrong but he's saying are you preoccupied with it how much of stock do you take into that I'll put into that our eyes are upon God and we ought to dress interact speak shunning every appearance of evil represent the Lord we don't judge anyone but we do want to be and do what God says that's all so vanity is something that we need to be careful we can get hardened covetousness greed for gain and material things and immorality the feelings that come from the devil maybe through a song I wish I never listened to the radio growing up because not only did I hear good things from the word of God but I heard the worldly songs just going on a field trip third grade going to the Empire State Building right there in the Guinness Hall of Records I used to have it in the basement there at that time in the 80s early 80s hearing a certain song I never heard before in a certain group and it just stuck with me and as I grew I had to find out more and I liked it and come to find out the whole thing is trash it's not anything about God as I began to learn more about the Lord and it has a certain effect on you because it creates a world that is imaginary and it begins to make you think that this is what love is and this is what you should aspire for and this is what relationships are about and this is what is supposed to be normal no the world is abnormal and perverted and the songs of this world are called worldly because it'll keep a person in a mess it'll make them think and look a certain way and perceive a certain way and ungodly desires can come up they may not necessarily be immoral blatant immoral desires but things that are a waste of time but if I'm in the truth and I listen to songs that worship God and teach me the truth I'll be in the right path to the greatest blessing in every area of my life so we need to be careful as believers that we don't let an old song from the world catch our attention begin to tap our feet or begin to invite that once more and rekindle the memories no we have to destroy all those things if we're going to go forward because the hardening of the heart doesn't happen overnight so we're called to be focused on where we're headed we're headed for greatness beyond our imagination by the grace of God we're given a measure of greatness right now and we're supposed to be focused to do what as we'll see in Hebrews again later on run the race getting rid of every weight that will hinder us seek to hinder us for if 
For we have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold the beginning of our confidence to the end. Verse 6, if we hold the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Verse 14, if we are his house, we are partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? These are saved people. They were saved out of Egypt, from the house of bondage. God took people away from drugs and immorality, from greediness, selfishness, all the qualities of hell. He took that yoke that was too much for us to bear, that we couldn't handle. He freed us from prison. And he says, don't go back. Don't harden your hearts and start going back. Don't rebel. Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? God doesn't get angry just because he wants to. He's the absolute just and holy one. The one with the greatest love. He was angry with who for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse corpses fell in the wilderness he said the effect of the anger of God against those who sinned was that he allowed them to die right there bodies in the wilderness bodies all over the wilderness who his family the people he loved he treasured he said you're my treasured possession I've carried you on eagle's wings he said in Exodus you're mine I love you I called my firstborn out of Egypt The initial application of that was Israel. And then later on, about his own son when they took him as a child to escape the wrath of Herod into Egypt. But it's his family. What happened to the family of God that their bodies are all over the wilderness? They lost. They missed everything. It's over. What weeping. What grief. What happened? They started messing around. They started playing around with the salvation God gave. They treated it cheaply and lightly. They thought they were boss. I can do what I want. A little here, a little there. So what? I modified. Moses, who are you? You think you're holier than us? It's just giving the word of God. Because he loved them. Just like God put that love in his heart. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. There are people, it's not just people who overdose and die or find, found drunk somewhere in the street and they were serving in some church or they were evangelizing or someone got caught in adultery or whatever. It's not just those people. This is people who don't obey God. In a variety of areas. They don't obey God because they don't fear God. They don't fear God because they don't fully believe. Somehow they get under the assumption and notion that it's okay. 
God will forgive me. I have another day. Samson went out one day after striking terror in the Philistines. Every day they were afraid of him because this man could not be stopped. He was, he was endowed with supernatural, superhuman strength. He lifted up the gates from the city. We don't know how many tons he had to push up. He was that strong. They were in terror. They could not stop him. They tie him with the strongest inventions they have. And he just broke it like strings. As if they were burnt. One day he went out. He thought, I'm still the same. I've got it. But that day, the scriptures say, he didn't realize God departed from him. And he got captured. He lost his strength. His eyes were put out. He's humiliated. Humiliated. He would have died except he cried out to God at the last moment. But he went through tremendous misery. And that life is not a guarantee that it will happen the same with everyone who wanders away from God. We can never presume or guarantee that our loved one or ourselves can ever come back to God when we venture away from God. There's no guarantee. He will call us, but who knows if we have the understanding at that moment, the ability to be able to respond. We don't know because if we abuse grace, Grace may run out when we least expect it. May we be the type of people that will always be God's house, always be His faithful children, always hold fast to the truth, never play games with God, take His warnings seriously, and do everything He calls us to do. Then we will become shining gems of God, trophies for all eternity. We will reign with Jesus, oh Lord. The beauty of heaven itself. Transparent glass. That's how the gold streets look like. And each of the gates in the New Jerusalem are pearls. Whole pearls. Imagine that. The gate is a pearl. The most dazzling pearl we can see. All kinds of precious stones. and It's just dazzling. And who's the people who get to live there and rule there? You you and all our brothers and sisters, all of us who are faithful to God. God has so much for us. God shows us we should not get caught up in anything, allow anything to creep in so that we toss all of eternity and all of the glory and risk all of the condemnation and ignominy infamy for all eternity the shame and end up with that instead of the former but our eyes are focused on this messenger from God who happens to be the son of God himself greater than Moses greater than all the prophets greater than the angels greater than the tabernacle and the temple he is everything to us in Revelation it says there is no temple there in the New Jerusalem because God and the Lamb are its temple. There is no need for sun because God and His Lamb is the light. Hallelujah. They're the light. We're headed there. Today, we can hold our heads up high knowing that we are princes and princesses. We are called with a royal holy calling. Royal priest. How do you go out if you're royalty? 
not afraid of anything or anybody. You can't go to the sewer when the devil calls you. Hey, come, let's go light on the sewer. You'll have fun. I said, get away from me in Jesus' name. God took me out of that. I know I'm not going back to that. I'm headed for glory. Hallelujah. Today I'm going to run the race the best I can with God's help. Honor my father and have a good day. And end up with a good testimony today. Every day we need to have a testimony that I obey the Lord. I'm getting closer to my Lord. I'm loving him more because I know him more. I'm serving him more. And my passion is to let others know you are valuable to God. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't abuse yourself. Don't abuse other people. God wants to treasure you forever and bless you. We are his house. We are his people. We are partakers of Christ if we hold fast the confidence that we had at the beginning to the very end with rejoicing. Hope firm to the end. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for giving us, Lord, much to keep us sober, keep us straight. Lord, keep us headed for the glory, Lord, a crown that you have specifically for each one of us, Lord. And you told us in Revelation, see to it that no one takes your crown from you. Don't give it up. You have your eyes on the prize to please me. I'll make sure everything that's coming to you will come to you. All the glory, all the riches of heaven, untold riches. Oh, hallelujah. This probationary period, we're not going to trifle with trinkets and temptation, temptations things that are sewer quality, every pleasure in this world, apart from the love and holiness of God, is sewer water, is garbage. We have refused it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We are looking forward to all the blessings you have for us, Lord. We're looking forward, Lord, to receiving that crown from you. I thank you that while it's called today, we encourage each other to keep running the race by fearing the Lord, by taking your cautions seriously, by listening and watching for the signposts, Lord, and continuing to go with confidence and obedience to you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you bless everyone, that all of us, Lord, would be praying for ourselves, that we would be faithful to you always ask you for a heart that's willing with the fear of God and love of God to do your word, to obey you every day and for our brothers and sisters that we intercede for one another that no one would not only lose out in heaven's blessing but not end up being cursed because Lord we see the real prospect of those who abuse your grace like those who fell in the wilderness is a real prospect if we don't take heed I thank you Lord in this generation, you're calling out a remnant of a people who are holy. As you told Elijah, 7,000 I have reserved unto me. They have not bowed the knee to Baal. Help us all, Lord, never to bow the knee to the devil, only to Jesus, by keeping your word. Thank you and praise you, Lord. Thank you and praise you, Lord. Thank you and praise you, Lord. Lord, to all those, Father, who are looking to you with hope for healing, Ministry healing, Lord Jesus. Confirm your word with signs and wonders. Give relief in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord. For all, Father, we're looking to you. 
and faith. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I curse every evil spirit and every evil growth and evil disease out of the bodies of your people right now. In Jesus' mighty name. Depart from the bodies. Pain, go away in Jesus' mighty name. Every cold and fever, discomfort, depart from the bodies of God's people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And curse every disease and the root of it that's troubling the people of God. In Jesus' mighty name. Depart from them in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, my God. For the glorious future for your children, Lord, and work to do. Oh, Father, I thank you for strengthening us, Lord, to accomplish all that you have for us today and every day until we go to be with you, Lord. We thank you and praise you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, I thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.